The scripture passage from which Pastor Matt is going to preach is James 5, 1 through 11. James 5, that's page 1013 in your pew Bible. Page 1013, James chapter 5, first 11 verses. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and that corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters that reach, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived in the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is Matthew Gibson. Sorry, my mic's on now. Uh, so I've been going to this church for, I think, a little over 20 years. And uh, even though I, when I thought I was a uh, Christian as a teenager, I was not saved. It wasn't until we actually started coming to this church and uh, thankfully, um, when I came to the grips of the sovereignty of God, knowing that uh, he is utmost, and coming to the reality of my sinfulness is uh, when I became to see uh, Christ in a real way. I see you all as my extended family, brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, and God has been kind to uh, my wife and I. Uh, we have four kids. Uh, one of our kids is uh, a special gift to me to teach me patience. Along with that, along with the reading God's word and along with what God teaches me, uh, I'm learning patience uh, on a daily basis. It's a slow process, and I hope one day to actually be patient as God is calling me to. I pray the same for each of you that are here, that you are patient, and to know that God brings us through trials to teach us patience to refine us as fire does, to make us glorify him and give us opportunities to glorify him in realistic ways. Sometimes how to respond and showing us sometimes how not to respond. And um, we all have examples of trials in our life. Each of you I know has gone through, is going through or will go through a trial. Um, I want you to know that God is kind to you in giving you trials uniquely tailored for your life. There's nothing unique about the temptation that you have that you face 
And you need to know, and we need to know, that God is faithful, and he'll provide a way that we might endure it without disobeying his commands. Wanting to think of a road trip way back when you took road trips, way, way back when you were in the back seat, possibly. Um, do you remember when you were going someplace, you would say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, if you're anything like me, you were probably getting into trouble when you were impatient. You started arguing with your brothers and sisters, and you complained. And all through that, we didn't realize it, but we were learning patience as we took those trips, didn't we? We needed to be reminded of why we were actually going and what we were going to possibly see. Maybe we were going to see someone special like the grandparents or go someplace special like a park. That usually helped us to settle us down and to know that we're almost there so that we can actually be nice to our brothers and sisters. Our text, as Jason read, is uh, I wanted to read the whole ver first 11 verses because they kind of go together. But uh, we're going to focus on 7 through 11 today. So um, I'm basically just picking up where uh, the last time I preached, and uh, I know it might be kind of a new thing for you, like where is this? this is not a topical thing. We're just continuing to go through the book of James. Uh, but James is kind of a helpful book where you can kind of pick up and, and let it down a little bit. But know that this, um, e even though you can glean a lot from just certain verses, the letter is to be read as a whole. Uh, each one of the letters in the Bible uh, should be read as a whole. And so um, hopefully we can uh, learn something today. I want us to know, uh, I'll give you some context so you know um, what's being said here and why God had uh, James write this and so how it can also be applied to us. So today's outline is very simple. I'm not sure if you have it. Uh, I think you actually even have the answers. I didn't even want to mess with that. Um, it's real simple. Uh, three things. Be patient. Don't grumble. The Lord's coming. Again, that's uh, be patient. Don't grumble. The Lord's coming. Now, there are subtitles. They all begin with D words. And so I'll let you stay alert. I'm not going to give them to you. I'll let you fill them out on your own. And uh, for you younger ones, if you do fill them out, here's an actual object lesson of being patient and looking for reward. Young ones, I got, if you fill out the uh, outline completely, and if you're young at heart, um, you can have candy. So you can look forward to that if you're young and fill out all the outlines. So come up here after the sermon. You can have uh, one of these chocolates here. I will not leave this here for some of you people there. So it's funny that, um, so I mentioned uh, in, in that little opening there about um, trials that are common to man, but that almost kind of refers to what we're talking about. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is, you know, no trial um, common. All trials are common to man and God is faithful and he is uh, just and he'll lead us through those trials. Um, but that, it was, it, that comes at the end of a summary where God's people, the Israelites, were impatient and they were in, uh, grumbling and complaining with one another. And, and God also, um, in that section of scripture, says that there was like a lot of people were um, destroyed because of uh, disobedience in their life. Now, um, 
I only say that, I, I was just thinking through that because a couple weeks ago we hit that in our family devotions. But it also is a helpful reoccurring theme that God delivers us. We act sinfully, impatient, wanting our own way, and we complain. And God kindly brings us through trials, common trials, to show his faithfulness. He also takes care of wicked sinners, but he shows us and he lovingly shows us through the wilderness sometimes, just like he did the Israelites. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Um, and, but someday soon, there's going to be a day we're freed from sinning, and we're going to see him. But until then, we have a tendency as brothers and sisters to complain to each other, to grumble. And um, we all know that through many tribulations, uh, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And so sometimes we forget about that. So here's the context of James, just to help you out as we're like starting right here in chapter 5. James is writing to God's people. That's who the audience is, a.k.a. believers. If you're a believer, this book is written uh, for you for application. But he was, he was writing for the people of God back in the day. They were actually people who were dispersed in the Mediterranean area outside Palestine. And they were suffering great trials of persecution. They were in a foreign land. And James was one of the leaders of the church. And he was offering encouragement to this new Christian, Christians as they struggled. They lived among disobedient non-Christians who were wealthy and were taking advantage of them. It's kind of like, you know, neighbors who are well-established and they have all kinds of money and it seems like life is easy for them. But for these Christians, they were poor and the trials just seemed to abound more and more for them. And they were called by God to um, establish their hearts, to consider trials as a joy that's how James starts out and it was the testing of their faith that produced uh, steadfastness this is something money can't buy and so James is trying to help the people of God even though money seemed to be a big issue at the time um, as you heard at the beginning couple of verses how people were oppressing them for money God is calling us to be established in our heart the reality of that of establishing your heart is that you will be complete and lacking in nothing. And that's something money can't buy. Even though you may lack foods or clothes or a job or a current lifestyle that doesn't match others. I don't think we have a problem with that here in America, but these people did. Patience is worth far more than any kind of money. James is a half-brother of Jesus. And I think, uh, I think he picked up on a lot of his uh, mannerisms, his talk, the compassion. And I say that because, yes, he got his, the writing is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, moved him to write this. But he was with Jesus for, a, I mean, as a human, I think he's probably spent the most time as, than any other human because he was his half-brother growing up with him and, and being with him and hearing him. James is a man of prayer and compassion, example for us to be. And he's thinking and considering of those outside, like we did this, like Jason did. Uh, example that for us, thinking of people who are not here, thinking of people who are hurting. And he has the exact words for us. He says, be patient, don't complain, the Lord's coming. James is a book about faith and what it looks like, if you're truly justified. Other books like Romans and Galatians, they're about 
real faith and, and, and what that is, if uh, that it's a faith alone that justifies you. Here is that faith that works if you are truly justified. So, so don't misunderstand if, if we're, if you see the outline, you be patient, don't grumble. Don't think if you're going to be patient and, and you don't grumble that you're going to earn some favor with God because that's not going to happen. You cannot earn favor by being patient, more patient, or being, uh, you know, real um, tight with your lips and not say anything bad. It's like the gospel. The gospel is not something that you cling to and then go on to learn more important things about God, which is true. You do want to learn a lot of things about God. The gospel, I want to help you out, is something that you cling to each and every day. The gospel is what we need each and every day, and that makes us understand more and more of who God really is. James is writing his form is in pithy uh, wisdom sayings. And so they're like a matter of fact sometimes. Uh, sometimes it can almost be like in your face. And um, there's lots of basic examples he uses in life. It helps us to relate to the Bible and helps us to relate to um, a, a, a true uh, vision of who God is. He uses uh, examples like fishing lures, bathroom mirrors, boat rudders, and farming equipment kind of basic stuff isn't it but God uses James to use real basic language to convey really deep theology and I like how that is it, it's like theology for dummies and that's what I need and so I like James in this context I'm continuing to tell you yeah is that the people of God were tempted to be worldly of course you guys all know if you live in this world you're going to be tempted to be worldly thankfully God gives us grace to be uh, submitting to him and draw near to him. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us. The problem with that is our tongues are tied to our prideful heart. And uh, just like uh, uh, Ralph was told on the, not Ralph Johnson, but Ralph on the Honeymooners, he had a big mouth. And sometimes I think we have big mouths. And James over and over talks about our mouth and how that affects us and other people. We tend to be impartial also, too uh, rich and to the well-to-do. We get caught up in the, this world around us thinking that we ourselves ought to be making more money or we need to have something or such and such or a, a, a correct degree or whatever it is, and then we end up starting to boast about it. The most reoccurring theme in the book of James is what comes out of our mouth. What we say generally reveals our hearts. And when we're in the midst of trials, um, trials greatly affect the filter that is on as our mouth, isn't it? Um, how we respond to trials um, in the midst of trials, it just seems like the filter comes off. And, and sometimes when we go through dark and uh, trying times, we can say uh, incredibly insensitive and unkind things. I know I can say incredibly insensitive and unkind things. So for the most part, James is lovingly addressing his audience and he's considering them brothers and sisters throughout this whole book, lovingly correcting them. And then we get to the uh, end of chapter four and we start talking about money. That's what this whole section is, is about money. And then um, if we're you know, caught up into it and we pursue it, 
we have to remind, be reminded that we're, our life is just a vapor, right? And then we get to chapter 5 here, as we heard, and it seems like, J, uh, um, not Jason, but James breaks character. James breaks character, and he starts talking to unbelievers at the beginning, the first six verses. And he lets them know that God is watching them. God is watching them as they go through hard times. And he hears their cries. He declares them unbelievers, basically. He doesn't quite say it, but he, he says, you're not going to receive anything but the day of slaughter. Like, there's not even a warning. It's just basically eminent doom. This is what you're getting. I remember hearing my parents back in the day when they were disciplining my older brothers and sister. I tell you, I, I, I caught the attention of my mom and dad a lot more when they were disciplining my older brothers and sisters when I wasn't even in, you know, involved with it. And so I think James helps us by addressing those who are uh, wicked and sinners, and he helps us and encourages us to continue to trust in him, that he's taking care of things. So then we get to this section that we're in, 7 through 11, and it looks like James turns his face back to believers. And um, again, it says brothers and sisters, the believers. He says uh, they're under oppression. They've endured a long suffering and he says, brothers and sisters, be patient. Don't complain. The Lord is coming. So as we go through these three points, I want you to think of a couple things. Who, what, why, and where. Um, you can uh, be thinking of those. They're not in your notes or anything, but just think of those as we go through them. So point number one, verse seven, look down here. It says, be patient. And then we, we're like, okay, well, stop. Who is he addressing? That's the Who? He's addressing brothers and sisters. So he, he's focused. If you are a brother or sister in Christ, he is talking to you. He says, be patient. Now, this patience is not like a passive resignation. It's not like we give up. It's rather a patient expectation for the Lord's coming. Actively being patient. Well, actively being patient is kind of hard, isn't it? If you lost your job, be patient. Uh, if you're being mistreated by others, be patient. If you're lied to and you're being taken advantage of, be patient, right? It sounds hard. Like you, it's hard to be patient during these times. Maybe you have kids that are unsafe, be patient. Uh, you don't know how to resolve the situation, be patient. You have no control of what's going on, be patient. Okay, okay, that's fine. You keep telling me to be patient. James is telling me to be patient. I just want this issue to end. Right? Sometimes you just want the issue to end. And you say, why, God? Why? What am I supposed to do? How long, O oh Lord, will this end? We need to remind, be reminded that we will all have tribulation, but we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Be patient. Look with me in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. That's the what. That's the big thing we're being patient for. That's the biggest thing about this sermon today is be patient because the Lord is coming. Something big is going to happen. Someone special is coming. But sometimes we think too much on the day-to-day -day things, things that we want 
or the trials that we're in. And I get it. I, I get caught up into the, to the problems and, and trying to maneuver how I'm getting out of these problems and these trials and, and tribulations that seem tough. But I, I want us to re, be reminded, I think Satan continues to keep our minds focused on the trivial, on the things that may irritate us. So it gets us our minds off of the bigger picture. And that is the Lord is coming again. C.S. Lewis and I think a lot of you guys know this quote, but I'll just say it real quick. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires, or in this case, our displeasures, not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, or in this case, sometimes we are far too easily displeased when we're running into problems and trials. We have an evangelism committee in our church, and, and uh, what, one of the things we do not want to do is have poor evangelism, and that is something like this. Choose God because your life might be hard, but if you choose him, your life's going to be easy. Well, we don't want to say that because that kind of gospel really uh, tunes up with the, the culture and what they want to hear of the short-sighted concerns of humanity. No, that's wrong. What we need is eternal. We need an eternal fix, not just a short-sighted, life's going to be a little better now. One cannot help but to understand there is something much bigger than this life. And we need to start answering questions in a bigger, bigger life uh, questions with bigger answers. God is up to something big. Christ's resurrection makes God's acceptance for us a full payment. Our sins have been paid for by Christ. If that weren't true, then our faith is worthless. And because if our faith is worthless, then we'd still be in our sins. God judges sin. Thankfully, he has judged it upon his son, Jesus, and he took the full penalty for us. I want us to rem be reminded that wise Christian patience is displayed when we as Christians act on God's revealed truth, when we cast our anxieties upon him because we know he cares. Genuine wisdom is rooted in a hope of the future. More secure our hope is, the more secure our faith is, and the more patient we become and it comes down to wise hope builds patient faith. And so we need to be in the word, knowing what God is up to in our life and around us. The certainty of our faith in Christ's second coming, it not only equips us to be patient, it, it you know, helps us to be patient, it actually shapes us to be patient. Um, let me explain it. So there's another quote I want to give us. And that is from Bernard, uh, George Bernard Shaw. It says this, our conduct is influenced not so much by our experience, but by our expectation. Uh, so you probably know that commercials know this concept well. They sell products not based on experience, right? C customers can't sell an experience on a commercial. They sell you the expectation. Heinz Ketchup knew this very well. They, uh, they said uh, the taste was worth the wait. 
uh, and I think they didn't even realize it, but they threw in a theological gem. They said, anticipation, anticipation is making me wait. And so anticipating Christ's return actually makes you wait. It makes you patient. And so if you're impatient and grumbling, you're th- when we think about the Lord and in the anticipation of the Lord's coming, it is making us wait. It's, it's a wonderful thing that happens. That's what James is helping us, to consider the sufferings of this present time. They're not worth comparing to the glory that we're going to be revealed. That's a, it's a wonderful, over and over in the Bible, there's reminders of us to look forward to what is going to happen. Patience is a self-restraint that it does not hastily retaliate against wrong. There's a, here's a couple D words. There's a duration and a description in verse 7. So one thing, we're not waiting forever, and we only have to wait until something, and that is the coming of the Lord. We are waiting for something big, something very important, and we're waiting for the, 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 the coming of the Lord, right? Look, if you, if you look throughout the scriptures, you're going to find probably at least 300 or more references of the coming of the Lord. So it's pretty important. Almost about every, like every 15 verses in the New Testament, there's a reference somewhere in there that uh, there's Christ's return is, is imminent and it's coming. Older ones here in the church, you long for Christ's return. I uh, remember last week I went to somebody's wedding. They may or may not be here. But I was talking to uh, Barb Johnson, and it reminded me of Ralph. And I, I just re- was reminded of, of, of the later years of his life and how he longed for Christ's return or for him to be with the Lord. He was reminded, and he reminded me that life is just a vapor. We're almost home. The sun is setting yonder. We're almost home. Now take courage for this darkness shall break to dawn. We must lift our eyes because we're almost home. And so there are a lot of people in this church who go through trials, and we need to look to God and look to what he is up to. And it's helpful for, the, for others uh, who go through trial. When we see others, look to what God is up to in the eternal grand scheme. Look again with uh, me at verse 7. He uses an example of a farmer. Just so you know, most of, uh, mo- about half of my sermon is point one, and then the rest of it, so be patient. Um, he uses the example of a farmer who waits eagerly for the early and the later rains. Um, a farmer waits for the precious fruit, doesn't he? We all know that a farmer needs to wait for the early and later rains. Um, that they help to germinate the seed, right? Rains help to germinate the seed, and they help to ripen the fruit for harvest. Well, we have to understand that Jesus has done that for us. He has made us new. He has given us life, and he establishes his kingdom so that our li- this lifeless seed of the soul is brought to life. He is coming again, and he's going to reap his harvest, and we get to receive the precious gifts of sanctification and glorification. And so the, the, word, the wording that James uses is so ripe with theology. I just 
I love how he talks through this little section. Just a few words, but if you just look through these, it's, it's wonderful. There's a couple of references back to the Old Testament uh, about the early and later reigns. I'll just give them to you. They're Deuteronomy 11, 13, and 17, and then Jeremiah 5, 23 to 25. They both talk about this early and later reigns because I'm like, why is James mentioning early and later reigns? Well, God is the ultimate farmer. He's the one who plants the word deep inside of us, and he brings the rains, sometimes thunderstorms, to grow us, to make us ready for the harvest. And he's going to make everything right. The reason why I say that is we tend to think so much that the worldview around us is that God is here to make our life easy. That's bizarre world, okay? That's not how it is. The truth is we are here to glorify God and life may not be easy, but it is to make us and mold us into his son's image. One day, God is going to harvest his fruits. That is us. And sometimes we have to understand as the first section of James that we uh, were read to, that he's going to receive other harvest. And that harvest is going to receive his wrath. So like the farmer, you wait for the coming of the Lord. You need to be patient because it's a process. And so, again, I want you to think about this farmer. Um, does the farmer do nothing while he waits for the rains to come? I mean, he patiently waits for the fruit. He knows he can't produce that. He, he waits for the rain that he can't make happen. He waits again for the second rain that he can't make happen. But, however, we have to think through this. He must have sowed the seed. He must be making preparations to receive the harvest fixing the farm equipment, preparing the barns to receive the crops. The farmer knows that there's going to be a time soon that he's going to receive rains, and it's soon. So he's actively being patient, establishing the crops, obeying the rules of agriculture, humbly submitting to the expectant rains to come. And I think that's just a nice, vivid picture of how we can be actively patient in our lives. Friends, by submitting to God and God's process, you will inevitably go through hard times. It is going to be stressful sometimes. And it may appear that the rains will never come. But these times can be spiritually beneficial to us as you call upon the Father who is faithful. We uh, won't do that unless we believe that God is good. So the question is for you, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that you can trust him do you believe that he's producing precious fruit, namely you? Do you believe that he loves you and he cares for you? Because he does. And he's watching and he's right there for us. So it's important to be patient. And then we see that again in verse 8. It's so important we're commanded a second time to be patient. It's kind of like when you give uh, instructions to the kids. Uh, you throw a little bit more commands in there. It's, a, it's like this. It's like when I say, hey, dude, clean the living room, clean the, uh, the house up because we have guests coming. Uh, they're coming soon. And then you just go right back and say, hey, dude, hurry up, clean the living room, establish this place, make it look nice, be presentable. Um, we got guests coming, and they're right at the door. Hurry up, right? So we tend to repeat, and so that's what James is doing. He's helping us. He's repeating this because it's important for us to be patient. Be patient 
Now, and he adds another word, and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord, verse 8. This is the when. It's at hand. It's like right now, but just not yet. Almost. It's, it's real soon. So be patient. We need to establish our hearts. Establishing our hearts is like the steadfastness. It's, it's, so here it is. It's like a temper that doesn't easily succumb to suffering. It's to, instead of having like a short temper, you have a, uh, or a short fuse, you have a long fuse or a long temper. And that's what that word is. And for you teens, you, we're, we're studying like real big expensive words in the youth group. And so uh, hupomeno is steadfastness. And so this one is uh, macrothomeno, right? It's like a just macro, like big, huge patience, big, huge steadfastness, right? So chapter one of James directs us to just be steadfast in trials. And now, now when things get really rough, we need to have established hearts when we're dealing with overbearing people who just make life hard for us. It's like an extra big steadfastness. So just so we don't misunderstand what uh, being established in our hearts means, it doesn't mean getting established in life. I know some of you guys are like real well established in this hustle bustle town of Dansville. Uh, It's real easy to get, you know, uh, sucked into the life of of the uh, city around us, this town. But we're commanded to be established in our hearts. We have a tendency to be established with ourselves in material items, don't we? Did you ever notice that when someone moves or when you move, you, you, you feel like you're in hoarder's heaven and you go, well, why do I have all this stuff? What was I thinking of when I bought all this stuff, right? Well, James is helping us to realize that we don't have to say and waste time grumbling and complaining when we're going to heaven. So we need to be established in our hearts. What are the things that you need to be established in your hearts? What are the things in your life that you need to look at in light of God is coming soon? For these people, in light of their oppressors, they were financially established. They were taking advantage of them, taking their money, literally taking their money. And God called them to establish their hearts. He had established the covenant with Uh, Abraham he establishes his throne for justice and as we receive him and walk in him rooted and built up he establishes us God is faithful and he'll establish us and guard us against the evil one and after a while after we suffer for a little little bit Christ will establish us and confirm us and strengthen us in the end and so God does the establishing of the hearts he calls us to do it as well We're commanded to be patient and establish our hearts. Enduring trials is basically the underground work that Jesus is doing to prepare us for the crown of life, as he reminds us in James. That's how we consider it joy to meet trials. God usually works trouble before triumph, suffering before salvation, danger before deliverance. So he allows suffering And he commands us to be patient. It's that holy tension between God's sovereignty and our response. He creates, he gets all the credit while he commands us to make a commitment. And it's through suffering that we commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He will establish our hearts blameless and holiness before God because he is coming again. And so 
we commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit establishes our hearts. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful thing that happens if you have the Holy Spirit in you. Point two, verse nine, it says, do not grumble against one another. In other words, be positive. Guard yourself against your tongue. Against who? Well, here, here's another D word. Against fellow disciples or Christians. Basically, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let me remind you that complaining is one of our biggest problems as Christians when we lose sight of the coming of the Lord. When we go through times of distress, it's real easy to um, go after those that we love. Um, we feel we're judged when we go through tough times and we can become real angry at our brothers and sisters. Um, there's a section where we think we're not judged, but God is basically judging us and disciplining us because he loves us. And James is helping us. He's commanding us to be um, patient and not to grumble because he does not want us to have extra discipline, which is great. It's, it's the loving hand of God, but he's telling us to don't do that because we don't actually have to look for discipline. We have enough trials. And so God is telling us, you know, be patient. Don't grumble. You don't have to look for ways to have incur extra discipline or extra love from God because he will do it. Look, God has already accepted us in the name of Jesus. But it would be really good if when we go up into heaven and he gives us a good hug, we don't have so much body odor and mung mouth, right? I mean, it's like going in for that kiss with a girl. I mean, your grandmother, right? And, and you've been eating leeks and garlic, right? And you're like, you're, they're still going to kiss you. They love you. They're going to give you a hug. But you know you could do a little better. You, you know you like probably, probably should have brushed your teeth a little bit. Well, not complaining, not grumbling, being patient is like going into heaven with, with a nice fresh deodorant, fresh gum in your mouth. You know, it's like <laughs> you're going to go in, but it'd be nice if you go in, you know, not complaining so much to the brothers and sisters that you're going to be with forever. Um, point three, verse seven, Lord's coming. Verse eight, the Lord's coming. Verse nine, he's standing at the door. He's right there with you. The Lord is coming and he's standing at the door. He's standing in the door for a good way for you if you're a Christian. He's there to protect you against the monsters and mayhem of this world. The coming of the Lord is when Jesus will come again. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to wipe every tear, and that is wonderful. And James um, got to see him go up into heaven, and the exact way that uh, James saw him go up into heaven, he's going to come back again, and he's going to be with us. Jesus is waiting for the precious fruits, and the precious fruits is us, his church. You are precious in his sight. And he will bring us to himself one day. Yet somehow we think he's mad at us when we suffer. Somehow we think that um, he's not patient with us. But we need to look to Christ who is patient with us and as he is perfecting us and building us and, and completing the work in us. He's going to present us spotless and blameless one day. I'm thankful that God is patient with us. I'm thankful for the Lord's patience. 
I'm thankful that God was patient when I was a sinner and he saved me. There's something about this door thing, and I want to just clear this up. It's very powerful, and I think Disney made a, a real, probably one of their last greatest movies called Monsters, Inc. I think all the rest of the Disney movies you could probably throw out, but um, simply because they took this door theme from the Bible and they expounded on it, right? There's this closet door, and it's like some meta metaphysical barrier between reality and, like, the scary monsters, right? So there's a little girl named Boo on one side of the door and guys like Mike Wachowski and Sully and Roz are on the other. They're ready to scare you, right, on the other side. Well, that's the movie, um, but real life is opposite. We live in a scary world, right? And, so, and someone is on the other side of the door who is full of mercy and full of compassion and is ready to take us and to welcome us in. The world, the flesh, and the devil all tell us that suffering is evil or it happens by chance and we're all alone. And when we think clearly about the coming of the Lord, we know that God is intending it for our good and he's right there with us. The Bible has a few examples of the door and I want to, I'll just say a few of them. Like if you think about it, just run through this. Like the door was the barrier between Cain and sin. The door was the barrier between Noah and the outside world between, you know, that was going to have incurred God's wrath. It also was the door that blood was sprinkled on for the Passover. There's a door to folly and a door to wisdom in Proverbs. There, we're told that there's a narrow door that you're supposed to enter in, and not many are going to enter that. Jesus is a door. If you enter it by him, you'll be saved. Paul prays that God opens a door for the word and Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And in this passage, Jesus is the judge who stands at the door. And if you call upon him, he's accepted you by the blood of the lamb and you are judged righteous. And he's there to take you soon. Where's this door? I have no idea. I don't know where the door is, but if we lash out against our brothers and sisters, we'll find the door because we're going to find the judge who's standing at it ready to judge us and discipline us in a loving way. He is also there watching and seeing what's happening to you when you suffer for sin's sake and being persecuted. He's watching you and, and seeing what's happening to you. He will take you and reap you as a harvest to himself, and you'll be with him. And he's also going to reap those uh, unbelievers and those who are oppressive and wicked in this world. And in Revelation has some very vivid words for the blood of all the uh, people that will be crushed in that harvest. And that's gruesome. But for you, Christian, this life is as bad as it's ever going to get. However, for you, non-Christian, this life is as good as it's ever going to be. The judge is standing at the door and he'll make it right. Just wait, be patient. He will come. If you live in this world and you don't accept the offer of what the Lord has for you, you will be judged. And the corrosion of your riches and all the things that you've accumulated in this world, they're going to eat your flesh like fire. What we say threatens the reality of patience in our lives. It, it really does. 
they uh, the world listens to everything we say. It's it's almost like a magnet when tough times come. Um, so like some of you might be sleeping right now, and if I raise my voice, you're like, okay, he's going to say something important now, right? That's exactly what the world does when the going gets tough. It's like a magnet. The world watches you intently, and especially when the wor- when when tough times come, they're just they want to see what Christ looks like in you. And when you grumble and compr- complain, we kind of look like what the world is. And so uh, James is reminding us that true faith is uh, someone who takes the, the, the tough times a little different than the world. James is not prohibiting us from asking questions to the Father. There's many psalms of anguish, okay? We, we can cry out to God. We need to cry out to God and ask him about things and, 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 and call out to him and ask him for change in, in our life, and we can do that. But we need to know that he is going to take us when we breathe our final breath, so be patient. Um, there's two other things, dose examples and in due time. That's our last two things. There's a couple of examples, and that's the prophets. Um, we're running out of time, so I just ex- tell you that Hebrews eleven thirty-two to forty. If you write that reference down, read that. That just explains that about the prophets and how their life was very hard, and times were tough for them, and they endured some really bleak times in their life. But they proclaimed Christ. They talked about what God had told them. They did not even receive what we have and that we have the Holy Spirit in us. So they suffered, and that's an example. There's another example, and that's Job. Job, we heard about that last week, that he had a couple of uh, scenarios. One, he, everything was taken from him, and um, with his lips, he did not sin, right? End of chapter 1, he says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't sin with his mouth. And then in round two, when and then, then he has an attack on his body, even his wife tells him to curse God, but Job didn't do that. He says, can I receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? And so at the end of chapter two, we hear that Job did not sin with his lips. And so like Job, we can guard our tongue. We can be patient. So the last thing is in due time. And this is God's timetable, and then we'll end. You, you can put your finger here and uh, look with me at, for Second uh, Peter 3.8, but you don't have to. I just tell you about it. Because I, I, I want to ask, like, what is soon, right? Jesus is, has been on the cross, and it's been over 2,000 years, and so we're told, like, he's coming soon. So what's God's timetable? Well, Second Peter 3.8 starts and says this, don't. Overlook this fact. He said, Beloved, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that we all should reach repentance. But on the day of the Lord, it'll come like a thief in the night, and when the heavens will pass with a roar in the heavenly bodies, they'll be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things will be thus, 
to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt and they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. That's where righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, just a couple things to think about. God's timetable is not ours. He's infinite, and we're finite. And God does not procrastinate the way we think procrastination is. He's actually patient. And you realize just how thankful he is when you recall how God has been good to you. Another thing is God is making all things new. He's declared you righteous, and now he's in the process of making you righteous. He's making his church presentable. And God's delay is actually mercy. Verse 15 is, count patience as the Lord's salvation. That is um, what patience looks like. So when is the Lord coming? Soon. I'm not, sh I'm not sure when, but James is referring to um, the Lord coming as an eternal thing. Now, I'm not sure if it's a 70 AD thing, but, he, but he's talking about the Lord as an eternal thing that's happening. He is coming soon. So establish our hearts. Think of the big picture of God is up to something very big in you, for you in your life, and he's, some, he's up to something big in heaven. Our pain is going to be here, but God is watching. He is there for us. Um, I have a few applications. We, we don't need to go over there, but it's very easy to, to lash out on, at those who we love, isn't it? Especially when we're married couples. Um, be thinking of um, suffering as a gift from God, um, especially when we come home from long days at work and we want to lash out at the ones who don't maybe respect us in the right way or, or don't listen to us. We can be patient and not complain. Your suffering is not God's wrath. It is grace because he is compassionate and he is merciful.